We're going to switch it up, guys. So if you would, um, we're going to want to, again, remind everybody we have our healing seminar that's coming up in January, and I've got another video just to kind of inspire us a little bit about that. So uh, as soon as I get it up, go for it. RTF was introduced to our church, and our pastor actually extended the invitation for the leadership to go through it. And as I said yes to what our pastor asked us to do, that's when God began to put things in motion in my life. The reason why I am an RTF minister is because I know it works for me. It worked in my life, and it worked in the people's lives that I saw being trained just as issue focus. And then as I began to get more and more, more and more in depth in it, I'm like, Lord, this could change the lives of the whole world, not just, my, not just me, not just my family, not just the church, but every life that we touch. The reason why you should do RTF is because you actually stop your walk of life and you spend quality time getting in the presence of Father God. It's one thing for me to tell you what to do with the rest of your life, but when you hear your daddy talk to you, when you hear Father God tell you what he wants you to do, what he has wanted for you all of your life, all of your life, and not only for you, but for your children, the benefits, that's why you should do this ministry. It will change your life for the rest of your life, like my life. Amen. So I want to remind you guys it's coming up. Um, if you haven't, go ahead and today you can write a check. Your uh, registration is $15 per person. Put that in the offering when we get ready to take it up here in a few minutes. But it's going to be a great couple of days. It's going to help us uh, get further down the road and get a little healthier. Amen. Well, we have a special guest here today, um, a friend of ours. He's a recent friend, but uh, a friend no less. Um, Joey Coons, if you would come on up. Uh, this is Joey. Everybody welcome Joey. Right, Joey. Joey is a missionary to Ball State. <laughs> Is that a good way to describe it? Because, <laughs> man, that's a, that's a realm that needs saving, amen? He's a part of Chi Alpha, which is a ministry that both Eric and I have been a part of when we were in school. It, uh, it blessed me immensely in uh, being able to connect with other Christians. I'll never forget after I came to, I, read, read, I went through my first year of school and um, finished that, I had dedicated my life that, that summer to the Lord and radically just turned everything over to God. But I remember going back to school the next year, and I was already in a house with a couple of uh, non-Christians that I'd already signed a lease with because they were my buddies, but whatever. But I just remember feeling so alone on campus. I was like, I thought I was the only Christian. I didn't know anybody who were Christians, especially Christians who believed in and the power of the Holy Spirit, and um, I finally, I went to the student services or something, and got the list, and Pentecostal, I think is how they <laughs> label Chi Alpha, I'm like, close enough for me, man, and I went, and I got wrecked by what 
I experienced at Chi Alpha. And Joey is one of the leaders at Chi Alpha, and we asked him to come share just a few minutes about his vision and what's going on at Chi Alpha. We right now support him as a, uh, as a congregational, as a church, um, but there may be an opportunity for you if you want to sow into him directly. But we believe in what's going on at Chi Alpha, and we asked Joey to come share. So go for it, brother. Thank you. Well, good morning. Um, yeah, so uh, just a little bit of background with me growing up with like the Assemblies of God. So this this kind of service is very familiar to me, you know, just charismatic, Holy Spirit doing stuff. It's really cool. And that's how it is over with Chi Alpha. Um, you know, we just I started working with Chi Alpha last fall. So not not this beginning fall, but last fall. Um, I just got involved as a student and I really just loved everything about Chi Alpha, just like seeing people's lives transformed and like seeing just um, people wanting to give up like even their majors to like pursue something that God wants them to. Like it's just totally awesome. God's transforming lives at Chi Alpha. But I saw that and I'm like, well, I'm going to give a year, see if that's something I want to do. And so I gave a year and it is something I want to do. You know, it's just, it's awesome. And I just want to be able to keep doing it. So here I am again. And I just want to thank you guys, first of all, um, like so much because your support has made such a difference there. I'm going to share a few stories with you, just uh, some testimonies of the ministry, but um, y'all's support has made a huge difference in people's lives. There are people who've came to know Christ this past year. There's been people who've been delivered from just like um, depression and just like really evil, like spiritual things. It's been really awesome and it's been really, and um, y'all, like, I don't know if you are aware of this, but you helped us fund our um, we have like a kickoff luau cookout thing at the beginning of the year for new students, especially freshmen coming in. Uh, and you all helped support support that and gave some money to help make that happen. And we had a, a lot of contacts from that. And a lot of people are still plugged in today. So thank you so much for your guys' support because it's it's helped us bear fruit. And um, it's a two-way street. You know, it's like it's just not like, oh, yeah, Joey goes here and does everything. It's like, no, without without the support of you all, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. So I thank you so much. But something that's different than last year, uh, when I talked to Tom, and, and, um, I, w- I wasn't engaged, but now I am, and my fiance is here with me today. Um, she's, she's finishing up grad school, and then after grad school, we'll be married, so that's 2017, the summer of 2017, but her name's Hannah, and very happy. We actually met through Chi Alpha, so any of you college kids who don't have a campus ministry while you're there... All I'm saying is I'm engaged. So, <laughs> But most importantly, students are growing really close to the Lord. This is a, just a, a few pictures of different life groups and just um, especially guys. Like I really need to brag on God for a little bit here because when I first started Chi Alpha as a student, I could count the amount of men in the ministry on one hand. I could just like there was like three or four of us that were just there. And then every once in a while, someone would pop in. But God has really answered. We have now three full life groups full of guys. And so there's like 20 to 30 guys that are consistently plugged in. It's no longer, it no, it no longer looks like a sorority. It just, and now it's like there's like a mixed group. And by the way, Chi Alpha is not a fraternity or sorority. So I have a lot of people get mad at me when I approach them because they think I'm trying to ask them to like, you know, support a, like a fraternity. We're not a fraternity. But um but you would used to think we were a sorority because it was like 95% female. But it's really awesome. God has brought some people into our lives. Um, here on the far right, there's a picture of two guys and the one that's dressed up. He's our student president. 
Um, he actually couldn't come back this semester due to financial reasons, but he's going to be back in January. He's actually going to be living with me. So it's going to be, it's really fun, but uh, he's just, he's been a really good friend to the person on the right of him. He has like bipolar, um, like uh, um, mental um, disabilities, and so he can just very quickly on a dime just go from like being super happy to like super mad. But Michael has been a really great blessing to him and been an awesome friend, and um, he's really, and I've seen um, the person to the right, Justin, grow in the Lord just through Michael's friendship. And then uh, you know, these guys down in the bottom, they're just, they're, they're all nuts. I don't even know what to say about them. Like, they're just, they're out of control most of the time, but they really love the Lord, and that's what's really awesome, is that, you know, it's like, there's so many things you could be doing on a college campus, but they choose to come and worship God, and, and they come to, like, you know, they come to, like, all the outings on the weekends and stuff. You know, they could be doing anything else, but they, they choose to serve and to reach out to the campus, so it's really awesome, and the girls, the girls have just always been awesome, like, they've, like, ever since we started Kayafa, they've, like, pretty much been the anchor, you know, it seems like girls just get their act together a lot faster than guys do, and that's, and that's just how, that's just how it is, but these, these are two personal stories of mine, on the right, uh, you see a, uh, someone being baptized there, that's, his name's Kevin, and he's someone I've personally sewn into for the last couple years, and he's slowly moving more towards following Jesus better, if that makes sense. It's like, so it's like he grew up in church, but then he kind of did his own thing. And then he's like coming back towards Jesus, but he's still wanting to do his own thing at times. But he's growing closer to the Lord. I've been really impressed with the ways he's stepping out and making adjustments in his life to be sure to prioritize the kingdom of God. So that's really awesome. He was, he was actually our first guy we ever baptized. And so that, that's just like, that just tells you how many guys we haven't had, <laughs> like, in the ministry. But here on the right uh, is my friend Aaron. And he had a very slow coming to faith because he grew up Catholic. And then his family just stopped, um, you know, going to church altogether. And he just kind of just didn't really think anything of it. And he got involved as a student when I did. And just last year, he said, like, hey, I want to follow Jesus. And that's actually us baptizing him out in the frog baby fountain, if any of y'all are, like, familiar with the fountain at Ball State. Because the person that was supposed to fill up the tub at the church we were using didn't. <laughs> so we're just like, we can either wait or we could go out in the frog baby. And everybody was like, yeah, let's go do frog baby. And it was, like, 40 degrees. It's like, y'all are nuts. I don't even know what you're doing. But it's really cool because God's, like, working. And, like, my whole house is kind of, like, a really like a testimony because my, my roommate Spencer came and he was like one of those kids who came from like his dad's a pastor so he has all this like knowledge thinks he knows everything but then like God humbled him while he's there and he's like a really awesome life group leader and an, an amazing friend to me now and, and then Kevin actually lives with me the one who I'm just currently discipling a lot and then my other roommate Rob he was actually an atheist when he came to school and he got plugged into Chi Alpha and he turned his heart to the Lord and been following Jesus for about two or three years now so God's doing awesome stuff here, and like my whole house, I just realized the other day, I'm like, my house is like an anointed house <laughs> or something. But this, this story is really um, dear to me because this is my friend Kenneth, and he was a senior last year. So I know it says he got involved in the fall. He got involved last fall, and he was a senior, and he was a physics major, and he's the smartest guy I've ever talked to. Like, I can't even comprehend anything he's saying ever, but he got involved, but about a year before um, that he met our group, he had this really, like, shaking moment where, he, you know, he was out at a party doing whatever college kids do, you know, I was always a good kid, so I don't know anything of what they did, and um, so, but he was out, and he, his friends, like, left him, like, in his car, like, they took his car, 
and just left him. And so they're just like, ha ha, real funny guys. And but he realized, like, man, I have terrible friends. Like I really do. Like they just left me here at this party. And he started walking. I I don't even remember where he said he was walking. He started walking somewhere, but he came across this guy passed out in the grass, and he was all alone. There was nobody looking for him. It was very clear nobody knew he was out there. And Kenneth just had this fear grip his heart that said, I do not want to end up like this guy. And he, and he knew with the friends that he had currently, it, he would. That's how he was going to end up. And so that's, that was about a year before we met him. And then he started, like, taking steps towards, like, trying to find better friends. And we got set up in his science building for one of our main meetings. And we asked him to come join us, and he did. And he had, like, a vague religious background. He, he knew who God was, but, like, he's never, you know, never really went to church, didn't know anything about the Bible. But the next thing I know, Kenneth is at my house, like, every night. Like, I'm no joke. Like, every night he's at my house. And my roommate and I, Spencer, we love guitar. And so he, and then Kenneth loves guitar, so we just would play all the time. And as we would play, he'd talk about Jesus, and he'd ask questions of, like, why are we Christians? You know, what, what does the Bible say about this? And um, and he was very standoffish for a while. You know, you'd ask him, like, hey, are you going to follow Jesus? And he's like, no, 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 like, no. <laughs> he's just like, he wasn't, he wasn't about it. But by the end of spring, this past spring semester, he said, like, hey, I want to follow Jesus. And so I kept discipling him throughout the summer. And then he moved back to Kendallville, where he's from, just a little bit north of Fort Wayne. And he actually works at Science Central now. And so I don't know if any of you any ever been there, but it's like this awesome science museum. I've never been. I actually want to go see it because it sounds really cool. But he called me a few weeks ago or he messaged me and said, hey, I, uh, I'm leading a small group here up in Fort Wayne now. Like, do you have any discipleship tools for me so that I can disciple people here? So it was just really cool because someone who didn't know Jesus even just less than a year ago is radically following Jesus and even, like, leading. And not only is he leading a Bible study, I think he's leading through mere Christianity. So it's like C.S. Lewis, high-level intellectual stuff. So it's just like, whatever, man, you just, you go for it. But I'm really proud of him. And um, that's really, like, my vision for campus is, like, I want to make more stories like Kenneth and my roommates, Rob and Kevin. I want to see them, like, I want to see those stories multiplied. There's a girl in our ministry now that, this this semester, she hasn't been able to be at our meetings as much, but uh, we met her last fall as well, and when we met her, we invited her to come, but we, what we didn't know is she had the, like, the pills to overdose herself that night, laid out on the, like, laid out in, on her desk in her room, like she was going to end her life, but we were there, and we invited her to Chi Alpha, and she came, and she gave her heart to the Lord, and then she, now she has a call to be a children's pastor. You know, so I think it just it shows the need for campus there and the importance of being there full time. And so um, and so that's why um, I'm just thank you so much for your support. And, and, you know, and Pastor Eric and Tom gave me permission to just ask you um, individually if you would like to sow into the ministry. I'm, I'm currently um, pursuing an internship next year. And um, to, in order to be sure that financially I'm in a good place, I need to raise about seven hundred dollars more a month of monthly support. So that just looks like. Um, you know, I have some I have some information I can give you, and you, it's just like, hey, I'm gonna, you know, pledge this much m- money a month, and um, cumulatively, I just need to um, add up to 700. But I want to see those stories multiplied, and I think right now it's it's very frustrating to me because I'm off of campus three or four days a week raising support, and I love interacting with people and meeting new people, but my mission field's back at Ball State, and every day that I'm not there is a day where one of the 20,000 students may never know Jesus there. 
there's 20,000 students, and there's like, I think almost 1,000 international students at, at Ball State, and a lot of those international students have never heard about Jesus. And like, they come from an area that it's closed off. So um, it's very important for me to, like, uh, my, my deadline is the end of the year. I'm trying to have my support raised by the end of the year so that I can be back full-time on campus and uh, making more stories like Kenneth and, and Mandy, the girl who was delivered from, like, depression and was going to commit suicide. Um, I want to see those stories multiply, and I believe God has good things for our ministry. He continues just to bless it, and it's growing, and more and more people are coming to know the Lord, and I don't want to miss what God's doing. So thanks so much for uh, listening to me, and um, I hope you're encouraged this morning. I know I'm always encouraged just to recount what the Lord has done, and I think that's why the Psalms tell you, like, remember what the Lord has done, because it builds faith in your heart. But thank you so much. Amen. <laughs> Joey, come here for if you would. We're just going to pray for you. Yeah. Is that all right? Sure. Um, yeah, just stretch your hands stretch out your towards hands him, towards yeah. and uh, we're just going to bless him. He's, he's in a hard, well, I won't call it hard. <laughs> Nothing's hard for the Lord, but it is, uh, there's resistance there on college campuses all over America, and, and this is not ministry for the faint of heart. And so right now we bless you, Joey. We bless you in the name of Jesus. We impart to you wisdom and faith and knowledge. We impart to you the gifts of the supernatural God in full force. And Joe, I just I feel like the, the Lord showed me that He wants the word of wisdom and knowledge to He's, he's, he's going to give you an, uh, a dose, uh, another level kind of anointing in, in the area of a word of knowledge, word of wisdom. I see an increase in supernatural ministry in your life. So, Father, we just we bless him today. Him and his wife to be God. We speak blessing over them, Father. We speak increase, favor, and open heavens, God, over their lives. We plead the blood of Jesus over these two, God. thank you, God, for Joey. We thank you for his life and ministry. And we bless him. In Jesus' name, everybody says. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can give that to Eric. Amen. So um, if we could have the ushers come forward. Um, if you uh, would like to give uh, towards Joey, go ahead and, and make your check out to, to New Covenant. And then write Joey in the memo. And we will uh, give him 100% of whatever you guys sow into him today um, to go with. But if, if God's putting something on your heart today to, to uh, you know, reach out to 20-somethings on college campus, then this is your opportunity. Like I said, as an organization, we... We, we give some support, but he needs more. He needs more monthly support, and that's what you'll be signing up for if you can.
So, Father, we thank you for uh, being generous with us every day of our lives. And so today, God, we just we want to return that favor. We want to say we are in your image, God. We are We've been born and created in your image, and we are a generous people with you, God. And so, Lord, we just give our tithe, our offering to you, Father, because we love you, not because we're afraid or compelled, but because we love you, Father. It's worship to us to give to you today, and that's what we do. So we offer this to you, Father, in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen. Amen. All right, flip 180, you're also released at this time. Amen. Well, while they're finishing up, um, I'll attest, I will testify that Chi Alpha is where you find your women. <laughs> Got mine at Chi Alpha. I snagged her, reeled her in. I said, the good life's waiting for you over here, baby. And she just had stars in her eyes. Whatever you say, I'll love you forever. I know you will, baby. (laughs) Found my wife, and it was a good thing. And if you're wondering, Chi Alpha actually represents Christ first. They named it to sound like a sorority, so it'd have a college feel, but it simply means Christ first, Chi Alpha. That's what we're called to do, amen? Okay, well, I got a lot of... A lot of territory to get, and I'm not going to, we're just going to jump into it. <laughs> so I'm not going to tiptoe into the water. I'm not going to review you. This is going to probably be the last in this part of my sabbatical journey of the RTF stuff. I know I've been teaching a lot about the demonic, but I feel like, you know, once in 18 years is probably due. <laughs> Amen. And so today I'm going to just jump right into kind of the last thing I want to say about the demonic, and it's a very controversial topic, and I'm okay with that. And so we're all just going to um, open our hearts to the Word of God, because that's where I'm going to go to talk about this thing. Um, but I'm going to talk about uh, the controversial issue of can a Christian have a demon? And... Um, the lines are drawn very rigid on this, <laughs> and um, the position that we, I, because I've been talking with Eric, and we've, in our staff meetings, and um, we're very clear on this, I believe, and the, the, the answer to that question, can a Christian have a demon, and we are saying yes, a Christian can have a demon, and as I mentioned a week or two ago, Derek Prince um, is considered one of the founding fathers of modern deliverance ministry. And when he was asked if a Christian could have a demon, he answered, of course, 
Christian can have anything he wants. <laughs> so as I dive into this topic, I need to define a very important phrase that's used in the Bible. And it is the phrase, possessed of a devil or demon. And it's a phrase that's in there several times. And so when you go to that phrase and you look up that word possessed just by itself, in the Greek New Testament, you will find absolutely nothing. It's not there. There's no single word for the word possessed. There's no translation for it. But if you go on and you get to the part, the devil part, Possessed of the devil, possessed of a demon, however the translation is. If you look up that word, devil, in the phrase possessed with the devil, it gives us a Greek word called dahimon idzomahi. That's one word. Dahimon idzomahi. And the meaning of that word is to be exercised by an unclean spirit. To have one, to be under the power or influence of one, or to be vexed with the devil. Now, the word vexed refers to words like harassment, um, torment, troubling uh, from an evil spirit. And because the word Possessed cannot be found alone in the Greek New Testament. It's essential that we, we, have, to, we have to look at it. We have to define it different. We ha- that word possessed. Because um, here's the hang up when we say possessed. <clears throat> the hang up that we have when we think about can a Christian have a demon is um, many people confuse the word possession with ownership, okay? And because we think the word possessed refers to ownership, we believe, um, we have to believe that a child of God could not possibly be possessed because If we think possessed means owned, there's no way a Christian can be owned by the devil. Okay? Everybody nod your head. You're right, Tom. The Bible says that. Very, very clear that the Bible says an evil spirit cannot own a believer. In fact, we're owned by God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 23, it says, you, that's me, that's you, were bought at a price. You do not become slaves of men. We are owned by God and God alone. Therefore, it is impossible, it is impossible for a Christian to be owned by any demonic spirit. And if we look at Ezekiel 18.4, we'll even see that it's equally impossible for even a non-believer to be literally owned by a demonic spirit. 
Because God claims complete ownership of everyone. For every living soul, everybody say, every living soul belongs to me. The Father as well as the Son, both alike belong to me. Now this is God saying, I, everybody, I own everything. I'm the creator. These Creatures are made in my image, so literally, God owns everyone. Okay? We've got to get that straight. God owns everyone. By the virtue that we are his creation, we all belong to him. Now, some of us are in right relationship with him, and some of us are in rebellion. But he owns all of us according to Ezekiel 18, verse 4. Now, this means that our common definition of possession as in ownership is not a biblical one. The biblical definition of possessed by a devil in the Greek word, dahimon id zomahi, means to be under the influence of. Under the power of, to be vexed, harassed, tormented, troubled by a demon. Not owned. Everybody say, not owned. In fact, there are quite a few examples in the Bible of people who were said to be possessed of the devil and were not raving lunatics. Okay? One example is in Matthew chapter 12. Verse 22, it says, They brought him a demon-possessed man whom, uh, who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. So this guy didn't say he was, you know, doing the crazy demon dance. He just couldn't talk. And he was blind. So it is very possible that we can have a spirit afflicting us, affecting us personally, but not be bothering us completely mentally. Another example would be in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. Now he is teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called to her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord answered him, said, hypocrite. And he calls an ace an ace. Hypocrite. 
Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? Well, we know the answer is yes, because he did it. Love those rhetorical questions, right? He's a master. So the woman was not said to be mentally insane or a lunatic. She was merely bound by an evil spirit that was causing her to be crippled physically. And furthermore, she was even said to be a daughter of Abraham. That's right standing with God for the Jews in that day. So what are some other scriptures that support whether a Christian can have a demon? Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. How rude. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And then he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Mm, That sounds rude too, doesn't it? The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, what was Jesus referring to as the children's bread? What was she coming looking for? Deliverance for her daughter. And Jesus called it the children's bread. Are these the devil's children that he's referring to? He's talking about the children of God. At that point, it was namely the Jewish nation. But guess what happens when we become Christians? We become the children of God. Jesus said our bread is what? It's deliverance. To be freed from the demonic. What about 2 Corinthians chapter 11? says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you've received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, You put up with it easily, though. Easily enough. 
So again, who's Paul addressing here? He's talking to Christians, right? That's who the letter at Corinth was sent to. Christians. So why would Paul suggest that Christians could receive a different spirit than the Holy Spirit if it weren't possible? Well, the answer is because it is possible. It's possible to open ourselves up to another gospel, to another spirit that wasn't the Holy Spirit that we originally received. Remember Genesis chapter 4, verse 7? God was talking to Cain, and he said, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must master it. Peter even talks to this issue. First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So again, who's Peter talking to? He's talking to Christians. Who's the devil looking to devour? Us. He's looking to devour us. And if he gets his way of being able to devour us, do you think the demonic might be involved? Do you think we might be influenced by the demonic, just a little bit? The answer is yes. If, if the enemy of our soul is devouring us, there is something, something that's eating at us. How about 1 Timothy chapter 4? Verse 1. Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow Deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now, who's Paul talking to? Who are the some? It's Christians. Christians are the ones that have the faith, not the world. We possess the faith. We're walking in faith. We live by faith. And he says that it's possible for you and I to walk away from this faith and follow a deceiving spirit. So, Christians, if they're following a deceiving spirit, are under the influence. And what did that word possessed of a devil mean? To be under the influence. Not to be owned, but to be under the influence. And you know, when I, to help, you know, for me to kind of wrap my head around this, the way I, I, I can imagine this, how this works, is imagine 
Imagine the house you live in is you, okay? The Bible says, you know, we know in Revelation that it talks about our heart. There's a door to our heart, right? In Revelation, it says Jesus stands there and he knocks to come in. And if we open it, he'll come in and have a great meal with us. It said in Genesis chapter 4 that sin is crouching at the door. And this is a figurative door that's to our heart. So imagine me, I'm my house at home. I live in this house. This house is mine. It's really Jesus's, but I'm, it's my house, right? So sin's outside all the time. The devil's out there. He's always throwing rocks at my window. He's always trying to get me to come out and play. As long as I keep that door closed, we're good, right? Now, we talked about last week about how we open doors to the enemy through sin, through the occult, through um, history, generational curses, through traumatic events. There are all kinds of ways that we can open that door unwillingly or unbeknownst to us. So the way I look at it, the way I process that is, is I've got my house, but when I'm sinning, when I'm doing whatever, it's as if I'm lo- unlocking the doors, unlocking the windows, and the enemy can come in whenever he wants. Now, whose house is it? It's my house. So what happens, what do we call the person who comes in to steal my TV? He's a thief. He is a trespasser, right? He comes into my house. I own the house. I own the stuff in the house. He's not welcome, but I didn't lock my door. All my windows are open. He can crawl in any way he wants because I left it open through sin, through unforgiveness, through no repentance. And so he can come in as a trespasser. Is he possessed the house? He's, it's under his influence. If he's in the living room and he's taking the TV, but does he own it? No. So that's how it is for a Christian. The enemy is a trespasser in our lives. He is not an owner. He's not a possessor. But he can sure come in and exert his influence. Especially if I don't kick him out. And he hangs out in my living room. And now he's harassing me. He's harassing my my family. He's harassing my thoughts. He's harassing my emotions. Does he belong there? No. Does he own the house? No. Is he oppressing me? Yes. That's the best way I can describe it. He doesn't own it. He doesn't have keys. He just is an opportunist. He's always checking the doors. He's always checking the windows. Did he leave this one open? Did he leave that one open? He's an opportunist. So, if it's not clear for you, I'm sorry, but it's clear to me, Christians can have a demon, but not be owned by one. 
And since that's the case, I believe it would serve us better to use the word I just used. A different word when Christians deal with demons in their lives. I believe the best word to use is the word not possessed, oppressed. When Christians deal with demons that are, that are they're dealing with in their life, they are oppressed of the devil, not possessed. The word oppressed describes more accurately the involvement of demons in the lives of us Christians. And in fact, it is, this is how the Bible itself describes what Jesus did in his ministry. How many know the best uh, interpretation or interpreter of the Bible is the Bible? The best interpreter of the Bible is the Bible. So Acts chapter 10 interprets for us what Jesus' ministry was all about. Verse 38 talks, it says, And how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who, <coughs> excuse me, who went about doing good and healing all who were what? Oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. The Bible interprets the Bible. And here's Peter. He's talking about his eyewitness ministry of, of Jesus. And he's describing that Jesus went about doing good and healed all who were oppressed of the devil. So people are not possessed as in owned by the devil. They are oppressed by the devil. So, what are some indicators that we can look to that might help us discern uh, if we're dealing with a demon in our life? So, I'm going to give you a list if you want to write them down. I encourage you to go back to the podcast. If you can't keep up, listen again. One indicator would be an incapacity for normal living. Incapacity for normal living. <clears throat> In other words, someone who's always depressed, never ever feels joy, someone who lives from one extreme to another, they just don't seem to be able to live just a normal life. Another indicator, extreme bondage to sin. Extreme bondage to sin. Is that you? Okay. Extreme bondage to sin. In other words, um, Most people who can just cannot give up a besetting sin, even when they try really, really hard, are usually dealing with a demon in their life. 
In fact, I, I find this to be the case a lot of times with men in pornography. I've talked with so many men who feel hopeless and weak against the overwhelming pressure to engage in porn. And sometimes they, they do really good and they go for months without engaging. And then they fall off the wagon. It's usually because they haven't kicked the devil out of their life in that area of their life. Another indicator would be abnormal emotions. Extreme highs, extreme lows, kind of all over the map. They're happy and giddy when things are terrible or should be, you should be sad and and they're sad when everyone is rejoicing. Sometimes that's an indicator of a demonic. Another one is abnormal sex life. An abnormal sex life could be um, you're very frigid. Uh, you have no desire for sex. The other extreme would be wanting sex all the time. You can't be satisfied. Those could be indicators that you're dealing with the demonic in your life. And if you engage in sexual activity outside of marriage, you're always dealing with a demon. Always. Another indicator would be insomnia. Just can't sleep at night. Can't rest. I can never get rest. That can be an indicator that the demonic's working in your life. Another one would be uh, um, tragic happenings. Um, maybe you, you call yourself accident prone. You know? I'm always hurting myself. I'm always, you know, I'm always like in a car wreck every every year I've been in a car wreck. Or, you know, just tragic stuff that just isn't normal could be an indicator that there's a demonic working in your life. Another one would be functional sickness. In other words, you're just sick all the time, but, you know, you're able to somewhat go through life. It's functional, but you're just sick all the time. Just can't ever get rid of it. I mean, we read in two examples, you know, the spirit of infirmity afflicts people. Another would be um, um, anger, rage, violence. If you're always raging, you're always violent, you're always thinking in violent Thoughts, it's a good indicator you might be dealing with the demonic. Another indicator would be uh, cutting yourself, hurting yourself, self-abuse of some form. It's usually an indicator of the demonic is working. 
Of course, a very obvious one is alcohol or drug addiction. It's almost always the demonic involved in any kind of drug addiction, whether it's prescription and your doctor gave it to you, or you got it illegally. And the last one I'll list, dreams, oppressive dreams. And this is probably one of the main areas of my life where I was identifying the demonic was in my dreams. Um, and I alluded to this last week, um, and I'm just going to share a little bit of my experience in the demonic of the, in dreams. Um, but my very first dream, um, my very first dream encounter with a demon or the demonic happened about a year or so after I had dedicated my life to the Lord. And I was commuting to college at this time, and I was staying in my sister's room because my room had been taken over by another sister, you know. As soon as you leave the house, you, rooms immediately get taken over. And so I was out, sister moved in, now I'm back. And the sister's room that I was in, she was off to school, so just, you know, shuffled around. So I was, I was sleeping in her room while she was at college. So this fir- the very first time I ever encountered the demonic like this in a dream, I was, I was sleeping. I was kind of, I don't know, I couldn't tell if I was asleep or I was in that twilight stage of sleep because I just, it was so real. Um, but in this dream, there were three demons standing over me. And they were examining me, and I could hear them talking to each other. And one demon said to the others, he said, he has the second sight. Now, I didn't know what that meant until years and years later. And I'll tell you what that means. The secular meaning of second sight is the ability to perceive future distant events. Okay, so what these demons were seeing was not my clairvoyant psychic powers. They were seeing the prophetic gift in my life. And so they were identifying that. And so they continued to talk some more. And at some point, um, one of them jumped on me and started to choke me in my sleep. And I remember I started to struggle, and I was, I was really trying to say the name Jesus. But I couldn't get it out, you know, because my wind was cut off. And so I, I kept struggling in this dream twilight zone thing. And so I started to wake up. I started to fully wake up. And once that I was almost completely awake, I was, I could, I was still being choked and held down in the bed. I couldn't. I couldn't even sit up in bed. And then finally, at the last second, I I lurched up, and I just yelled the name Jesus. And it was over. And so that was like my very first encounter with the demonic in my dreams. The next experience I had was a few months later. Um, I was getting ready to leave leave the house for the afternoon, and I was home alone, and um, so I, I got ready, and I'm walking downstairs, and I'm walking through our dining room to leave the house, 
And the room that I stay in is right above the dining room. And so I'm walking through the dining room. And as I walk through, the stereo in that room turns on, and it's at full blast. I mean, it's like loud. I can hear it (laughs) clearly. And I think, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm alone. I don't think my sisters are home. And I look through the house, and nobody's there. And so I walk up to the room. And it's just jamming. And um, and I walk over to it because I'm thinking maybe there's an alarm on it, you know. Somebody set the alarm. Maybe there's a clock, you know, and it just went off. Well, there's no clock. There's no alarm. There's nothing on this stereo. The only way this stereo could be turned on is if you go up and you push the power button in. It's the only way. So, of course, I recognize what's going on. I pray, and I leave the room really quick. I head out the door. Now, those were my first, like, within a a year or so of my Christianity in full force. So now, fast forward to the recent years. um, Here recently, before I went on my sabbatical, um, the, the demonic started showing up in my dreams again. And you can ask Eric, because I shared most of them with him. Um, But I I started having dream after dream after dream that I was confronting demons, fighting with them, struggling, rebuking. I've shared a couple even here. Um, But always being attacked in my dreams, being harassed in my dreams. And I would wake up deeply, deeply discouraged. Every, every dream that I had, it just caused me to be more depressed and more defeated. And I, I, totally, I, I totally felt like, um, and I, it's not true, but what I felt, it was, I, I just felt like God was just trying to let me know what a terrible leader I was, what a terrible follower of God that I was, that I was, you know, just, just awful. And so, so as I'm thinking those thoughts and I, condemnation just it was piling up on me, just piling up on me to my breaking point. And I was getting so desperate, and I knew something had to break this off. And so that's, that's why we went to RTF. And that's what happened when I went to RTF. Michelle and I went through... Uh, our life, and we closed uh, an enormous amount of doors through generational curses. We closed doors to ungodly beliefs. We closed doors on some of our, our emotional wounds that we've experienced in life. And once we'd gone through that whole process of, of eliminating the enemy's legal right to oppress us, We did the last step, which was demonic deliverance. And we kicked the demons and the demonic out of those very specific areas of our lives. And I want you to know, it wasn't weird. It wasn't scary. Well, my head spin, but Michelle's didn't. But it wasn't weird for me. I was like... 
It was easy. It was simple. And most importantly, it was effective. And so that's what I'm going to show you today. How to kick the demons out of your life. So if you pull out your handout that you have, it should be a full page. I put everything in one, so this is yours to keep, and your Bibles, or your backpack, or your bag, or your purse, whatever. You keep this stuff. Okay? So turn to the section that says demonic oppression prayer. This is not a prayer to get oppressed. <laughs> this is a prayer to get unoppressed. <laughs> oh, Lord, my life's so easy. I request that something come torment me in the name. No, no we're not going to. All right, so here's all you got to do, okay? Once you've dealt business with generational curses, with ungodly beliefs, you've closed the door on any kind of uh, unforgiveness or emotional wound that you've had or experienced in a specific area, then you can come to this, and it's easy, it's simple, it's wonderful. So the first thing we do is we say, I confess the sins, my sins of, and whatever it is, you know, that little, the parentheses are always examples. So if it's anger, I confess my sins of anger. If it's fear, I confess my sins of fear. If it's sexual bondage, I confess my sins of sexual bondage. And I forgive all who have influenced me to sin. And at this point, you need to get in your brain by either the Holy Spirit or your own knowledge who helped influence this thing in my life. If it's fear, maybe mom and dad had fear in their life. Maybe if it's sex and you were molested at an early age, then you, you've got to forgive who's ever influenced this thing in your life. And again, this will go back to your generational curse. It'll help you kind of remember who was connected to this thing. So confess my sin of whatever, and I forgive all who have influenced. Name them specifically and say, I forgive dad. I forgive mom. Whatever. Then step two, repent for giving place to the demons of whatever it is. Fear, anger, sexual bondage, pride, control, shame, whatever. Just name it. You repent for that. And then you forgive yourself. I forgive myself for the pain and limitations I have allowed the demons to inflict upon me because that's what they did. Whatever demonic entity has been working in your life, it is limitation. And we have to say, I forgive myself even for allowing this thing to keep working. Number four, in the name of Jesus, I renounce and break all agreements with the demonic stronghold, and we'll just use fear. I break, I, I break all agreements with the demonic stronghold of fear, including all associated demons of, and this is where you can ex expand on that. Get specific. Fear of rejection. I renounce fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of the unknown, whatever. Name it all the best you possibly can. Then we go to step five. I take authority over the demonic stronghold of, for example, fear. 
And I command this stronghold and all associated demons to leave me now based on the finished work of Christ on the cross and my authority as a believer. Amen? And then you're going to go through and you're going to pray number six. And so this is what you say. If it's fear, you're going to say, fear, go in the name of Jesus. You're going to say it out loud. You're not going to say it in your head. You're going to say it out loud. Fear, go in the name of Jesus. And then whatever you've listed as a manifestation, fear of failure, fear of, of loss, fear of rejection, you're going to do the same thing with each thing in that heading. Fear of failure, go in the name of Jesus. Fear of rejection, leave in the name of Jesus. And you're going to go through until you covered everything you can under that one area. And then you do number seven. Because it's over. It's over. It's done. You're clean. And you praise the Lord. And you thank him for what he has done in your life. So how do I know that a Christian can have a demon? Because when I came home from RTF, something changed in me. First thing that happened was my dreams changed. They weren't dark and oppressive anymore. I could feel the Lord um, using them to, I could feel him in the dreams. And I could, when I woke up, I could feel the Lord using the dream to teach me instead of condemn me. My thoughts changed. I wasn't compelled to think such negative thoughts all the time. In fact, the pressure that I felt to compromise and, and act in negative ways, it wasn't there like it used to be. And the only way I can describe it, it's like having like a woodpecker in your head or or dripping water, and it's like, it's like there in your head, and it's just like, it's just like, just compelling me, compelling us to just do it, do it, do it. It's that pressure, just do it, say that, think that, act that, do it, do it. It was just unrelenting. And I could put up a good fight most days, but eventually I'd fail. I'd give in to negativity. It was relentless. The compulsion to act or think negatively, it was relentless. It was a daily war in my life with depression, with anger, and negativity. And once I came back from RTF, the same temptations were there, but it was different. It was, like, it was like the temptation came from, from outside of me now instead of, instead of from within. It was like it was out there. It was different. I, the only way I can, again, describe it, it was like, it was like someone like standing across the street talking to me, trying to get me to think negatively, you know? And so, so it was like it was faint, it was distant, and it was really easy to recognize that this is not my voice. This is not me. 
that was priceless. I could really feel my freedom from the demonic. You know, when I was going through it, though, I didn't feel anything. So I don't want you to get discouraged. I felt nothing when I was at RTF. I was discouraged, and I'm telling you not to be, because <laughs> now I know. I really wanted to feel something. I wanted to feel something lift off of me. I wanted to feel immediate relief. I wanted stuff to feel change right when we were done. But it didn't. I didn't feel that. It wasn't until I got home, back into my environment, back into my, my normal life, that things that normally trigger, make you mad, tick you off, all that stuff started coming at me that I realized, wow, I don't have to react anymore this way. This is easy. That's how I knew something changed. Ask Michelle. I was mad. I'm like, boy, what a waste of time. I feel so bad that we came here because she's all like, oh, this is so good, and I feel so great, and I'm being so free, and... I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I felt nothing until I got back into my life. I just believed it. They said, things are going to be different when you go home. And I said, you say so. I'll believe it. Spent a lot of money and time, so I'm going I'm to get, get my money's worth, whatever that means. And I did. I really did. And I know that getting free from the demonic oppression was the final piece of the puzzle to truly getting free. You know, as a church, I want to say that we have done an incredible amount of inner healing when it comes to lies and it comes to past memories, but we have not done a good job of kicking the demonic out of our lives. And I have watched many people in this church, including myself, do years and years of inner healing only to keep going around the same mountain. Still living defeated, still overcome by sinful patterns, sinful behaviors. And so I want to be very clear on this. I believe it is because we have neglected the mandate of driving out demons in the name of Jesus. And today, I'm equally declaring that we are neglecting it no more. Jesus came to proclaim freedom to captives and release from darkness for prisoners. And I'm going to say that this church, we are on our way to becoming a demon-busting army that knows its power, it knows its authority. That's who we are, amen? Well, stand up with me, and I'm going to ask you to repeat this after me. Is the army ready? Yes, sir. All right, say this after me. You ready? I receive the authority of Jesus to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy 
nothing will harm me. Today I rejoice that I am a child of God and that my name is written in heaven. I believe in Jesus Christ. So these signs are following me. I drive out demons. I speak in new tongues. Snakes and poison cannot hurt me. I pray for sick people and they get well. Wherever I go, heaven invades the earth. Wherever I go, heaven invades the earth. Wherever I go, heaven invades the earth. Now give the Lord a shout of praise. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. If you need prayer, the altar team will be here. Have a great Thanksgiving. Be thankful and be a Christian on Black Friday. God bless you.